As we come now before the very word of God, if you'd like to read with me and follow along here, I'll be in the book of James in chapter 1. We'll be here in just a moment in James chapter 1. But as you turn there, and before we read, would you please uh, pray with me? Lord, you tell us that your words are pure, like silver refined in a furnace. And we know that to be true. Help us then to listen to these words, to really cue in and attend to these things. These are treasures for us, more precious than gold. Help us to listen, to believe, and to obey. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the book of James in chapter 1. I want to take this morning, or read at least, just these first four verses. So this is James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the word of God. Now, last Sunday, uh, if you were here with us, you know we began our journey, uh, however long this is about to take us, and many weeks and months ahead, our journey through the book, or the letter, I guess, technically, of James. And, and if you miss that time, you may be wondering today, uh, then, why I'm, I'm still in these first four verses, why we haven't moved on past that. The reason for that is because we began last week, even though we read the bulk of this first chapter, by looking at just the first verse, <laughs> just verse one, the greeting. And, and I know it must be just a, a mystery to you how a pastor can find 30 minutes to talk about just one verse. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we have our ways. There's a lot uh, of content just in that very first verse. So just briefly, uh, by way of reminder, in this opening, in the first verse, here we meet the author who identifies himself as James. Just James. And historically, over the centuries, there's been great consensus about who this James is, that this James is the one who is a prominent leader in the Church of Jerusalem. This James is the one who is an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. This is also the James who is the biological brother of Jesus, that they grew up in the same household and played with the same toys. So in spite of all the clout that might come with those things, James does not use any of that as leverage. He doesn't even mention those things, but instead he simply refers to himself here in verse 1 as a servant, as a slave even of God and of Jesus Christ. So James here is humbled, 
submitted to Jesus as his true master, this is a good place for him and for us even to be. Now, James, this James, says he's writing to the people in the dispersion. And uh, the dispersion here is this scattered body of believers, people of Jewish background who've now come to follow Jesus uh, and put faith in Jesus, and they've been scattered uh, throughout the regions because of a persecution. Uh, Some of that scattering even brought some of them to the point of prison or even death, we know from the scriptures. So given that these are the trying circumstance of, of James's writing, some of the first words of the body of his letter here might come to us as a surprise. He says in the very open, count it all joy. Count it all joy. What a strange thing to say to a people who are struggling. James here is not only talking about extreme cases of prison and persecution here. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, of many kinds. So this could be applied to all sorts of trying circumstances. If we were to comb the letter and glean the sorts of trials in particular that these people are facing, we see things like poverty, issues with money, quarreling and disputes, issues of sickness and lawsuits and slander, nothing new under the sun. I've seen all of those things myself. So these trials are not limited to the the handful of elite, really big trials. These are all the many various trials of many kinds. So I imagine this week you know exactly what he's talking about. Maybe even this morning, perhaps you've had some of the big trials. Perhaps there was a series of small trials. I've got these two. Whatever the case, this is instructive for us. So then the question here this morning is, what does it mean to count it all joy? What does it mean specifically as a Christian, as a person who is in Jesus, is our relationship between trial and joy? I want in the rest of this time to unpack or unfold four things here that James is not telling us about this phrase, count it all joy, and then one thing that he is telling us, four that he's not, one that he is. So let's just go for it. First thing that James is not telling us here. He is not saying, seek out trials. He's not saying, seek out trials. He says, when you meet trials of various kinds, or when you stumble upon them, when, you, when trials come to you, when you encounter them, Christians, or really anyone else for that matter, are not uh, called to pursue trials for their own sake. Uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that every day has trouble enough of its own, you know? So so why would you go looking to to dig up trouble? And that might seem obvious to some people. You know, preacher, you don't have to say that. We know those things already. But, uh, But this needs to be said. Because there's an idea that creeps in to some people's minds that a life that is harder is better. 
or a life that's harder is holier. That's not what the Bible is teaching us to think. Some people think, oh, I should then go for the hard things because I should make life tough because that will be better. So then we might turn ourselves into sort of self-inflicting martyrs. And that is not what it means to follow Jesus. We know, of course, that the Lord will lead us on paths of many trials. I mean, he says, take up your cross and follow me after all. And some of those paths, some of those trials may even lead some people into martyrdom. We know that in the midst of that, the Lord is strong enough, he is gracious enough to carry us through whatever he will take us through, and we want to faithfully follow wherever he leads. But, so we do not have to run from trials, but we also don't want to run to them either. To run around looking for the next pit to jump into is not a mark of faith. It's more likely a mark of foolishness. Joy does not come from seeking out trials. There's the first. Second, that James does not tell us here, he does not say, just smile. Maybe hear that from some people. That's not what James is saying. Just smile. When he describes things as being counted as all joy, what he means by that all is that it's real joy, that it's honest joy, it's not fake or manufactured joy, and that every trial, even every part of every trial for the Christian, the Lord can and does work for our joy. That's what he means by all joy, but he is not saying count it only joy as if our trials would be devoid of any, anything else like grief or sorrow or agony. You know, if we are people of any maturity at all, especially if Jesus is working in us by his spirit to make us complete people, we know that we're capable of more than one emotion at a time. Right? The, the Lord, for example, can simultaneously both love us and be pretty upset with us for some things. We also know uh, Paul talks about himself and his fellow workers as being sorrowful yet also rejoicing. Both those things together. And even just in this last year, we know that some people in our congregation that we dearly love and now miss have moved away. And when I found out that they were moving, you know, I said, I am thrilled and furious. You know, happy for you and sad, mad, upset, you know, still want them to do what's good and follow the Lord. These combinations of things might seem like some as, you know, a paradox or some sort of contradiction. They're not a deficiency of holiness either. This complex combination of, of emotions are part of our wholeness. They're a mark of growth in us. Trials are often bittersweet. That is, they are pain mingled with all joy. But it's not 
just smile. So that's the second thing he's not saying. It's not just smile. Here's the third. James is not telling us here, prove your faith. He talks about faith, but he's not telling us here to prove your faith in this. Trials, let's see, which verse is it in? Uh, Trials here are described in verse 3 as the testing of your faith. But you'll notice in this testing of the faith, he's not saying, I want to determine if you have faith in Jesus. He says, I want to purify your existing faith in Jesus. The listeners of the letter here are then already people of faith. These are already people who have put trust in Jesus. These are people whose sins are already cleansed by the finished work of Jesus. So James's goal here is not to cast doubt on their faith, to test them to see whether their faith is, 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 is good enough, is strong enough, is pleasing to God enough. That's, there, perhaps there's an occasion for some self-examination, for a real hard look at our faith, but this test is not an exam at all. Test, you'll notice in this case, is not to approve, but to improve. It's not to approve our faith. It's to improve our faith. The test is to add to us so that we will not be lacking. It's to grow us. It's to add to our joy. It's to add to our sense of completion. That's the way that God is working this uh, perfection in us. He talks about so that you would be uh, perfect in these verses. And I know that's confusing to some. It does not mean that we're sinless. We know that that's not the case for any human aside from Jesus in this life. He even says later in chapter 3 that we all stumble uh, in many ways. So he's not talking about uh, being perfect in a sinless sense. He means perfect in the sense that we are purified or refined in trials of fire. And making us perfect, this is happening This is God's work in the life of a Christian, whether we see it happening or not, whether we actually feel it happening or not. Uh, Job, the long book of Job, the famous sufferer in the scriptures, uh, talks about his experience this way. Let's see, where is it? Job uh, chapter 23, verse uh, 8, I'll begin. So here's Job talking about his own experience and his relation to God. Behold, I go forward, but he, God, is not there. I go backward, but I don't perceive him. On the left hand, when he's working, and I don't behold him. He he turns to the right, and I I don't see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. That's what's happening here in this proving. To be tried to be refined, to be purified like gold in a fire, not to prove our faith, but to purify it. There's the third. Here's the fourth and final thing, at least, that I'll mention uh, that he is not saying here. James is not saying in these verses, follow your heart. He's not saying follow your heart. That is one of the dominant mantras of the day, and it gets under my skin because it's a really bad philosophy. Some people think that joy 
many things, but joy in particular. Joy is just something that kind of spontaneously comes out of our heart. Like, see a cute baby, or, or I hear a particular song, or the sun comes out, which it just did, which makes me happy. The, you know, uh, that's a nice little coincidence there. But uh, there's some truth to these things. Of course, these are good things. We're thankful to the Lord for these things. I like cute babies, too. I've got a couple of my own. But that is not necess- that's not what we're talking about here, at least not mainly. James is talking about joy in relation to trials. And I don't know about you, but joy is not my natural or spontaneous heart response when things are hard. My natural response, if I'm just honest, at least for just me, is usually laced with sin. Sometimes more, sometimes less, but it's there. When I face trials, my tendency are, are, are to complain, to doubt, to get bitter, anxious even. And if I let that go, I'd start to sink into the quicksand of you know, self-pity and self-indulgence. That's where I'll go if I follow my heart. But nothing in the scripture tells us that all of our emotions are just inevitable. It's not, uh, we're not just at the mercy of whatever we might feel. You know, we don't just shrug and go, oh, well, this is just who I am. I have to follow my heart. You know, I'm just an anxious person. I'm just a grouchy person. I'm just a callous person, so no joy for me. You know, we recognize that there are different temperaments and different strengths and weaknesses among us. Some of us have tendencies toward other th- various things. We know there's differences through this, but push out these thoughts in your head that there's nothing you can do about your emotions. We're not called to follow our heart. We're called to lead our heart. We're called to lead our heart because Christ is bigger than our hearts. Christ intends to save you from sin. Which means that part of that is he'll cleanse you from guilt. This he's already done on the cross. It's already all accomplished. But part of the saving us from sin is that we're saved from the effect of it the practice of it, that we're slowly throughout our lives conformed more in his image. And so his word to us here is now showing us part of the way he is transforming us to that end. So if the Lord here is not telling us these things to to seek out trials or to just smile through the trial or to prove your faith or to follow your heart, what is it that he's telling us here? He is telling us to count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. I know that means I just read the verse. By saying count it all joy, he does not say it is joy when you meet trials. He says count it joy. Consider it as joy. This is a mental act with emotional effect. It's a mental act with emotional effect. So this is not fakery. 
This is not, you know, mustard up joy, say cheese for the camera kind of moment. We don't really feel, this is real joy, but we wanna bend our mind, bend our heart, bend our lives in that direction. Now, how do we do that? We know that this is all and only the Spirit's work in us, but what particularly does it look like to count it joy? Back when I was in college, uh, when Laura and I were just uh, dating, we, uh, we got through the, the, uh, the finals period at the end. It's a very stressful week and all these big tests and everything. And then you get to the end and then it's Christmas break. And I was supposed to uh, go see Laura's family over, over in western Kansas, or at least west from where uh, I was. And so she had already gone ahead, but I had some extra finals one, uh, one year. And so I was uh, waiting, and I had to drive on my own to catch up to her, to get there, to be uh, with her for the Christmas holiday. And this particular year, as I was driving, I hit a winter storm. And if you know me at all, I hate driving in bad weather. But I didn't have a whole lot of choice. And so, so here, you know, if you've seen the Star Wars movies, it looked like that, where, you know, you're driving and the, the snowflakes are like whizzing past and they look like stars that are coming through. And, and the, the road kind of looked like this bubbling, swirling witch's brew because I'm driving straight into the wind. It's all coming, you know, and I'm creeping along at, you know, maybe 20, 15, 20 miles an hour. And my hands are white knuckled on the wheel and all of this. And, and, and through it, I said out loud over and over again, I'm coming for you, hun. I'm coming for you, hun. I'm coming for you. Now, would I have preferred sunny driving and clear skies? You bet. But, even though I had met the trial of this particular storm, I could count it all joy. Because I know what is on the other end of it. I know what's ahead of it. I know what is in store when I've come through it. And I'm fixing that goal right in front of my eyes. It's even coming out of my own mouth even so that I can cut through all the clouds of the swirling witch's brew of snow. James is telling us something similar to that. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for, here's the reason, for you know. You know something. And I'm about to remind you of this thing that you know so that you see the result. I want you to set it, fix it right in front of your eyes. Here's the things that you know. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He goes on here to, to, to help us to see a bit of a chain, a chain reaction. The testing or the trial of faith produces something. It produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness does something. It makes us perfect, makes us complete, purified, so that we would be whole and not lacking in things. He says, you know all of these things to be true, and if you hold that in your mind, you will count it all as joy. He puts the chain in another way a little later in the chapter, in verse 12. Let me read it. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. 
trials, in other words, are, are not just a hurdle to get over. They are part of the strengthening of the chain. That God is using these trials to produce in you steadfastness, to refine in you faith, and to deepen in you love. This is similar to the way the very car ride itself for me with my white knuckles would help me to realize something I already knew, to open my eyes even more to it, to to realize that for my wife, this is how much I love you, hon. This is how much I want to be with you, hon. And when that trial is over, I will squeeze her just a little bit tighter and be thankful just a little bit more for her because I've now seen what what she's worth. And from that perspective, then of course it's all joy. Of course. Last thing I'll mention here. Do you know what the killer of real joy is here? Do you know what, what the killer of real joy is? It's not the trials. The trial, when we face trials, we might want to blame them for our lack of joy, but they're not the culprit. All of us know people with very few trials and also very little joy. They were just sour as a lemon. We also probably know people with very many trials, but also very much joy. Uh, if, if no one comes to mind in particular, I'd recommend to you, just as a side note, uh, Joni Erickson Tata, if you're familiar with her, famous uh, Christian woman who as a teenager dove into water that was too shallow and snapped something in her neck so that she's paralyzed from the neck down. Very famous modern writer, full of joy. So if you've faced many, many trials and yet still are full of much joy, it cannot be the trials themselves that kill our joy. So what is the killer of joy? The biggest killer of joy here is ignorance. The killer of joy is a lack of knowing something. The killer of joy are the blind spots a lack of perspective, a sort of short-sightedness to only be able to see what is immediately in front of our face. And so the scripture in many places, not just in here, is, is opening up our eyes to see the bigger perspective, to add uh, some, some bigger picture around the trial. Paul says it in a similar way in Romans chapter 5. This sounds very much like James. Romans 5 verse 3, he says, We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing, there it is, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The writers of the scriptures want to set this knowledge before our eyes. 
so that we'll fix it in our minds, sometimes even have to say it out loud, I'm coming for you, hun, kind of moment, to see this chain that suffering, if it's by itself, isn't worth a whole lot, but if suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope, and that doesn't put us to shame, then I want all that. And it all comes in one chain. We don't just get to snip it off and get the single link of joy. We either take the whole necklace or we don't take it at all. So consider this then, which would you rather have? Which do you really want? Do you want a life with no pain but no hope? A life that's painless but also hopeless? Or would you rather have a life with pain but also hope? with trial, but also steadfastness, a life with testing, but also perfection and completeness that is lacking in nothing. If you want that, if you want the Spirit of Christ to work that in you, then keep this in your mind to even say it aloud to yourself when you meet trials of various kinds. I will count it all joy. Would you pray with me? Lord, these things are not easy, and I suppose that's part of the trial for us. We trust, though, that you are sufficient for all things. Would you help us to remember, weave this into our minds and lives, the end of these things? the blessing that's to come here, the perfection that's found in you so that we can count it all joy. Help us to have eyes to see that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And Lord, would you make us steadfast to the end. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Ah, Amen.